Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to have you with us again today as we are going to approach a brand new Bible study. I welcome you all and please uh, grab the Bible if you like to be part of this Bible study from where we are sitting. If you are in the car, then just listen to us, but uh, I um, hope that you'll stay with us because we are going to talk uh, about um, quite a few different things uh, and the topic for, uh, for the next few uh, weeks will be family seasons. I would like to just welcome uh, the panel for today and um, thank you, each one of you, for uh, taking time and come. Uh, hi, Len, and good to have you with us. Yes. Hello, listeners. Lija, thank you for uh, joining us also. Good to be here. Brenton, thank you very much for coming also. It's an exciting time, Nick, to uh, be able to share God's Word with our listeners. And Helen, it's our facilitator for today. Thank you very much, Helen, for uh, putting together this Bible study and uh, welcome to the program. Thank you for asking, Nick. Thank you. Uh, now, I'll just pass the microphone right to you, Helen, if you'd like to take us through. Thank you. As Nick has just said, our new studies are about family seasons and each family is different as to also each individual. Some families are functional, sadly others are certainly dysfunctional. And over the next few weeks, we will point to principles based on scripture that it's our hope and prayer can help make for stronger families in every stage of life. However, before we open the Bible, as our custom is, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Brenton, thank you. Wonderful Father in heaven, we thank you that we can call you our heavenly Father because Jesus told us that you are our Heavenly Father. We thank you that Jesus is our elder brother and that we, believers in you, are accounted as members of the family of heaven. But Lord, down here on earth, we have our own families. And as Helen has just mentioned, some of us live with dysfunctional families. Some live in violent situations and some live in happy homes. Lord, may these studies, these Bible studies that we will do, as Nick has said, over the next couple of weeks, may these Bible studies cause us to think that God created male and female. He wanted us to procreate and to fill the earth with people. And we pray, Lord, that we may show by our lives, by our families, that we too recognise God's order God's creative ability and that um, our families can be a foretaste if we have Jesus in our heart of the family of heaven. Amen. Bless us to this end in our study today and each participant we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Brenton. And as Brenton mentioned in his prayer, yes, God has created us. I sincerely believe that God is a God of order and planning and I was thinking through creation the other day and I thought it's interesting that God did not make plants before light came first and the plants need the light so that's one example of order but the Bible also tells us there is a time for everything and uh, Len I think you've got a text on that there was a song a popular song I think its yes. title was Turn 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 which was based on this passage I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Was the Seekers, Len, who sang it? It was the Seekers, was yeah, it? All right. Australian group. Well, this came <coughs> before the Seekers, and it says, A time for everything. There is a time for everything, 
and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You know, as I read this and think about this, this is life. Absolutely. This is life. And I'm really pleased that the Bible doesn't gloss over some of these things. If the Bible was all lovely and nice and there was no bad side, it's not the word I'm looking for, ugly side to life, you could say, well, this is all made up, but the Bible's not made up. It's the Word of God, and it's pointing out here how that we have these experiences through our life lives. I was just going to add, uh, Len, on that, that the Bible is not a commercial book. Just to present the um, glossary uh, no. stuff, it's the reality of life. And unfortunately, the reality of life, because of sin, because we stuffed it up from the beginning as human beings, it's uh, full of all these things, as you just said. I mean, we don't like to really talk about war and killing, not that we are um, supporting that sort of stuff, but it's the reality of life. And how can we face it and become a better person and a child of God? That's the thing which we are going to look at through these studies. Helen, just an interesting comment on that, uh, what Len has read. Everything there has a beginning and an end. Had there been no sin, one wonders what the situation would have really been like in this world. Because remember, God did say to Adam and Eve that if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. Now, they wouldn't have known what die was, but when die began to come into play and they started to see leaves falling and flowers fading and that sort of thing, this is when the cycle of life, as we are about to talk about in this lesson, comes into play. But one can't help wondering, had man been faithful, had we been obedient to God, there wouldn't have been a beginning and an end. I wonder what Solomon would have written then. <laughs> True, good thought. Our lives actually flow according to cycles of all kinds, environmental, biological, relational, familial emotional and even political we go through stages through changes and they do so from the moment we're born sometimes the changes are good sometimes not sometimes we have control over them and sometimes not they elicit from us a spectrum of responses from ranges from joy to sorrow and everything in between and in our study today we will explore how individuals are susceptible to life's phases especially in the context of families we will explore job's life which illustrates radical and ex unexpected change also joseph's life falls into the same category though their respective families were significant 
significantly transformed in tragic ways, the end of Job's and Joseph's stories displayed a God of redemption and restoration. Narratives such as these offer us hope in God's providence and inspire us to remain faithfully through phases of difficulty. And I think that's a good thing about the Bible and these stories. It gives us hope. But we see just as a plant starts as a planted seed, grows and dies, and as seasons cycle and spring from spring to summer to autumn and then winter, we also go through similar rhythms of life. And so from the beginning, God's perfect creation includes cycles and seasons. But panel, uh, panel or Brenton, perhaps, I think you might have that text. Do we have a text to verify this statement? We do. Uh, it's found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14, and it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Helen, one interesting point here that we often overlook when we read these, uh, this first chapter of Genesis and even the second chapter. God did not name the greater light, the sun, he did not name the lesser light, the moon. There is no mention of sun or moon here. Now, one of the problems that Israel found when they went into the promised land was that all of these nations around were worshipping nature. They were worshipping the sun. Sun worship is featured throughout history. And the moon, likewise. Uh, God simply saw it necessary to state that there would be a greater light during the day and a lesser light at night. Therefore, drawing people's attention to the Creator rather than the created. Very good point. Yes. And Genesis 2, 3? Yes, Could certainly. you read that also? Yes, certainly. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified or made holy it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. Again, just a quick comment. I think what is taking place here is God is not resting because he's tired. He's resting because the work is complete and we know that by going back to chapter 1 and verse 31 where it says, Then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. Now, it's the only time the word very good is mentioned in the creation story. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. In other words, it was perfection. God was happy and he rested. And it was a to weekly, show, weekly cycle. Yes, and it was part of the weekly cycle. So I'm very interested in the word cycle. And I realise that we're subject to cycles in our lives. Um, some of these things we just cannot help, like being born and mm -hmm. dying. There's, you just can't help it. It's there. But sometimes it seems to me that the cycle, there's, there's an intervention in the cycle. And I think there's, there was an intervention in the cycle that God had made at the beginning when sin came in. I see the sunrise in the morning, I see it set at night and so on. We're subject to that cycle. But sin has disrupted yes. the, can I say it this way, the perfect cycle of life so that there are things that come in that are just ugly and horrible which were not part of the plan that God had for mankind. Mm, thank you, Lane. You know, the weekly cycle, Eden cycle, culminated in the Seventh-day Sabbath, as mm. you explained. And thankfully it came through after the fall, that weekly cycle, that Sabbath, you know, is still there. I guess the question that we would have would be, will the seasons continue while we are on this earth? And how long? Lydia, I think you've got a text there for us. In Genesis 8.22, could you share that please? Yes, as long as the earth endures, 
seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Well, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Yes. So it will go on right through to the end of this this earth. From the very first note heard and the very first word spoken, the earth continued to spin on its axis, just as God promised. And as the world turns, the seasons progress in their prescribed cycles. And so, my friends, do the experiences of the human family. So tell me, Len, will it continue indefinitely into the new earth? Well, I can read to you from Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 23, mm-hmm. which says, From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. Now, of course, God is above time, but God has made time. And we human beings are subject to time. But this text says that when we are enjoying eternal life, this cycle will continue from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. I think that's good news, isn't it? Well, uh, some things will continue, won't they? Mm. And what I was going to mention also that um, even though after the scene, a lot of disturbance come through, you know, in the rhythm of life. Yes. But still, cycle is visible. It's uh, it's there, you it's know. Still there. It's still mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, uh, just a thing comes in my mind when uh, God said to the first couple, you know, now you will work hard, you know, in the field to earn for the living, you know. And to the woman said, now with great pain, you will give birth and so on. I believe those things. It's it's a cycle, but they would have done it totally different before yeah. the scene. Yeah. They will still have to work around and look after the garden and look after the, what God created, but it would be totally in a different way. And what Lynn just said, I think is this is very important, because God is restoring, and he wants to be us to be part of that restored world. Helen, mm. mm, one of the mysteries of um, what we've talked about is uh, the word eternal life. Now, had man never sinned, obviously they would have had eternal life. And um, I had a statement here that if, with your permission, I'd like to read. It's regarding the human family. I have found this this morning and I thought it was really good. It was God's purpose to repopulate heaven with the human family if they would show themselves obedient to his word. Now, when we talk about creation, we often don't think of this aspect that God's plan was had the human beings been faithful to him, he would have repopulated heaven with them to take the place of Satan and his angels that were cast out of heaven. However, plan B, if you want to call it plan B, is going to be fulfilled. God will repopulate heaven with the members of the human family who were saved by grace. Good Mm. news. Good news. I'd like to come back to something I said at the beginning when I said God is a God of order, and I think we're seeing that, and he's in control of the world. We saw that Genesis 1 shows the order in creation, Genesis 8.22 showed the order in nature, and Isaiah 66.27 shows order continuing in the new heaven and earth. And several texts show us the seasons of our own life. Between two bookends of, of life, we have birth and we have death. 
the Bible has a text for all seasons of our growth in the context of a family. I found this interesting that the Bible covers all our stages and we're just going to run through it fairly quickly. So we've got Psalm 139.15. Brenton, I think if you could read that, please. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. So that's talking about conception, isn't mm, it? Conception. Okay, and what about Psalm 71, 5, 6? It says this, For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. Okay, but verse 6, By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. So here we are, mm. God is saying about birth. Let's look a bit further. Lydia, Genesis 21.8, could you share that please? The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So he's, oh. talk, he's talking about weaning. Yes, yes. And these are things we don't think are in the Bible, but you know, once you start to study the Bible, it's amazing what's in there. Len, Judges 13.24. Well, this is talking about the uh, about Samson. It says, woman, the woman, that Samson's mother, gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. So he was a, a baby boy and he grew up. Well, if he didn't, he wouldn't have been Samson, That's would he? That's exactly right. <laughs> Brenton, um, we want to talk a bit about the childhood. I think we've got a good text in Proverbs 22, 6, which is good counsel for all of us. It says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. This is a text that many parents have used down through the years, particularly in, re in relationship to children who have gone astray. Sometimes you wonder, you bring them up properly, and they go out into the world, they start doing their own thing, they run away from the Lord. However, this text, I believe, gives us hope. It says when he is old, or when she is old, they will not depart from it. I think that's uh, an encouragement to us as families. Thank mm. you. We're talking about hope again, aren't we, which mm. is great. Yeah. Yes, Len. We had an interesting situation in my family. My oldest son, who's a mature person these days, said to me once, You know, Dad, when I was younger, I tried to do things different than you. He said, You know what? Now I'm getting a bit older, I find myself doing the same things as you. <laughs> so I think it's a part of life, even though children, not that the boy I'm talking about was a rebel, not by any means, but he was just trying to make his own mark in, on the world. Yes. And he in thought he would way. make it a little bit different than what his dad did. But then he found out he was doing it pretty much the same. And probably that's why it's so important to teach when is the right time to teach uh, a child because even though he may not pay attention at the, that time or not pay attention but would not consider to follow the teachings uh, he'll remember those ones and uh, I think uh, I'm getting myself a bit older and I remember the same things <laughs> I should say this that he's a very nice boy <laughs> oh good on you that's Lynn. good, good on you. Yeah, great. well we're going to go from childhood to youth and that's what you're talking about your son and uh, again Brenton Proverbs 518 let please. your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth uh, it might be interesting for the listeners to know we celebrated our wedding anniversary last Saturday mm. I have been married to the one wife for 44 years 
Fantastic. And uh, she's the best girl in the world. Others here would disagree with me, I'm sure, but <laughs> she's a wonderful lady. And uh, I really appreciate this text because um, I believe in a marriage, your wife or your husband should be your best friend. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's wonderful. Uh, Len, we do get on to marriage and children in Genesis 6.18. Can you share that one with us, please? Okay. Well, this is talking about um, Noah. And it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, says the Lord. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Okay, so this is another part of the cycle, isn't it? The marriage, yes. the, the children. And Lydia, I believe Psalm 90.10 tells us how long our lifespan is. Yes, the length of our days is 70 years or 80, if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Okay, we disappear. So the life, yeah, the li the lifetime is also mentioned in the Bible. So if anyone here or any of our listeners have reached seventy, be blessed, be absolutely blessed. I'm one of those people, and uh, every day for me, I take it that you know I haven't reached my use by date. And by God's grace, I've still got some time left too. Maybe a little bit out of uh, topic here, but uh, some people who may read the Bible, particularly in the first books of the Bible, may learn that uh, some people live there, you know, eight, nine hundred, nearly a thousand years, years, a thousand years you know, and we're thinking about 70, 80, is that fair or not, you know? Yeah. And But, you know, Good Bible point. is true again, as Len pointed out earlier. Those people were able to live that long because there was much closer to God's uh, plan, you know, and after the um, flood, for example, when uh, things were changed quite dramatically, and I'm not going to give a lecture now on uh, healthy lifestyle, but um, changes were uh, dramatically, you know, experienced in, in, in life after the flood, and the drop was straight away from a few hundred years to 120, mm -hmm. as I remember. Very quickly very quickly but even though now we can improve our life to have a quality life on this earth even if it's 70 or 80 yeah Len wants to say something just before you do Len can I mention that in last week's seniors paper there was an article about Eleanor Eleanor is a lady who runs a fitness program an hour a week I believe it is and she's been doing it for 26 years she's also learning Italian as as well as doing other things she's computer savvy Eleanor is turning 92 next month isn't that just That's just wonderful. an inspiration mm. thank yes. you Lee I'd just like to comment on what Nick was saying the Bible records the ages of a number of um, early people after creation. We hear a lot these days about evolution. It's thrown at us left, right and centre. And part of the um, idea of evolution is that things are slowly but surely improving. I disagree violently with that. I think we don't have evolution, we have devolution, which is just the opposite, that things are going from good to bad. 
One of the things that's interested me, and I've read a little bit about this, is about genetic mistakes. And I see that the uh, Adam and some of the early patriarchs, as they're called, they had less genetic mistakes. But um, from what I read fairly recently, with every new generation, there are about 500 additional genetic mistakes. And so that brings about susceptibility to disease, causes certain diseases, which means perhaps if this world should go on for a hundred more generations, everybody, well pretty much everybody would be sickly and not very good at all. That's an interesting comment. When you read the uh, early chapters of the Bible, you find that in some cases uh, the people that they married were often cousins or people very close to them. We know today that, generally speaking, you are discouraged from marrying your cousin because of the possibility of genetic issues that Len has been talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, Just another point, Noah lived a total of 950 years. I think 600 before the flood and 350 after it. Inside of 10 generations, they were down to about 140 years, 150 years. In other words, what Len has said is we've got devolution taking place, not evolution. Because of the climate, because of their diet, and because of other factors, the human race has deteriorated, not invigorated. Thank you. Let me bring a little bit of hope in here. Even though we're saying, you know, 70, 80 years, whatever, when the Lord comes and we spend eternity with him, it will be forever. There won't be a a time limit on our lifespan, which is good news. But we've got one more part of the cycle to cover. And, um, Len, maybe you could share with us Genesis 15, 15. All right. Here is uh, the Lord speaking to Abram. He says, you, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Okay, so no matter what stage that we are in and no matter our differences, we all have something to offer, not just to the Lord, but to each other as well. The Greek philosopher Heraclitus declared that there is nothing permanent except change. He had a point. And just when it seems that everything is going fine, the unexpected may happen. And it may be a loss of a job or a limb, an illness that sends us to bed or to an early death, a house fire, a car accident, a fall while we're walking the family pet, perhaps. But I'd like you, uh, you think, Brenton, you've got a short paragraph you would share with us about this, please. Thank you. Of course, not all changes have to be negative. Maybe a promotion at work leads to better economic conditions, or perhaps you meet someone who will become your spouse a change that many would welcome. Either way, we can be going along even in a routine, a rhythm, when instantly and unexpectedly it's all disrupted. And I think many of our listeners, plus ourselves, would recognise that that has happened to us in life, where it seems at times that the jigsaw puzzle is nearly together and everything is going along well, and then some event comes along that turns it on its head. Mm, Thank you. As I was driving here to the studio today, I was listening to ABC Radio Talkback. Mm -hmm. And the discussion was all about how people are trying to manage on the dole. And one man rang in to say that he had a good job and then something happened. 
and then he was relying on government handouts and how difficult his life was. Another lady, she was uh, working as a scientist, I think. Well, Same thing happened. The funding ran out. She lost her job. Her life, uh, as she reported on radio this morning, was very, very difficult. Life is not always a bed of roses. There are sometimes significant ups and downs and difficult things that people have to deal with. Yeah, um, I had a slight interruption yesterday. I was sharing with some of the panel this morning that I was driving along a main street. I was parked waiting for the stop, waiting for the lights to change. And there was a gap in front of me and this gentleman was walking up the street and he crossed, he went to cross right in front of me. And that was fine, except he picked up a road sign, 25 kilometre road sign, and he carried it across. And just as he got to the other side, he threw it back towards me. Fortunately, it missed the car, but it landed in front of the car. And this wow. was a new experience for me. Now, you know, hopefully that wouldn't have changed much, but it did because I got out of the car. I thought, I can't drive over this. I picked this sign up and I took it to the side of the road. And as I went to move, I had a horrendous pain went through my, my back. And uh, all yesterday I could hardly straighten up. And I thought, oh, I had things to do. And all of a sudden here was my day disrupted. <laughs> Fortunately, it's a little better today. But we just never know, do we? And there's a man in the Bible that, boy, he didn't know what was going to happen. And it's a story in Job, Job 1, 13 to 19 and 2, 79, tells us about Job and what unexpected things occurred very quickly in his life, one after the other. So we're going to just share what happened to him. Uh, Len, would you like to make a comment, please? Job was not expecting the new season in his life. The Bible describes him as a man who was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. He was a good man. Also, we know that he was married. He had seven sons and three daughters and was very wealthy. By the time we reach the middle of the book of Job, he has suffered at least six major losses. His property, his labour force, his children, his health, the support of his wife and the encouragement of his friends. His world had been turned upside down and his family life devastated. I know somebody who is fairly severely disabled. And the book of Job is of great comfort to him because he can identify with Job and his troubles and mm. his own his own troubles. It made me think that my little episode yesterday, if that's the worst that's going to happen to me, I'm in for a good life, aren't I? And, and Helen, can I read a couple of texts? Oh, sure. Just, um, they're not... Um, they're relevant to what we're talking about. They're from the book of Job. I only found these this morning, and I thought they're worth uh, sharing. Here is Job, in a sense, talking to God. He says in Job 7, verse 20 and 21, Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target, so that I am a burden to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Sometimes, um, not only ourselves, but all of us probably go through times where we almost feel that God is targeting us. 
And this is what Job is crying out in his depression and his sorrow at, at being utterly devastated, as Len has pointed out. He's saying, Lord, why me? Why pick on me? For all you know, tomorrow I might be dead. So what's the point of picking on me now? Uh, at least forgive my sins so that I can die in peace. And I think we've probably all been through experiences where we have asked the question, why? Yeah, thank you. you the story of Job has a really good ending. Yes. But there's something, a theme that runs through Job, and I don't have the exact reference, but I can quote it. Job said... Though he slay me, yet will, I trust him. yet will I trust him. And I thought, what a good positive attitude that yeah. is. Thank you. And I was going just to look at a couple of more verses from this wonderful book of Job. Actually, my favorite text in the Bible is from the book of Job. But uh, I will maybe just uh, mention that. I would like to read also verse uh, 20 and uh, 21 from chapter 1. After Job was challenged and, you know, one after the other, you know, the bad thing happened to him, you know, he said these things and I was blown away when I read this verse. When Job heard this, he tore his clothes and shaved his head because of his great sorrow. He knelt on the ground, then worshipped God and said, we bring nothing at birth. We take nothing with us at death. The Lord alone gives and takes. Praise the name of the Lord. When I read this passage, I, you know, I could not believe that a human being, after so much suffering, can say those words. But that's where God wants us to come, you know, and to experience his goodness and the, my favorite verse is saying this Job uh, after all the troubles all the you know misunderstanding even from his friends and family and so on he said this before now my ear could hear about you O Lord but now my eyes have seen you sometime we may be we may grant and say, oh, why God is allowing these things to us? You know what, dear friends? We are going to be challenged in many aspects because God loved us so much and God wants us to grow and to experience His goodness. Never uh, blame God or never, never turn your back to God because whatever happens in your life, God will take care of it if we give it to the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, for sharing that. Years ago, certain things happened to me, and I used to, very early in my walk with the Lord, say, why me, Lord? Now I'm to the stage, it's why not me, Lord? And Job 23.10 is my favorite text, which says, He knoweth the way that I take, and when he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's hope we're all going to shine with in the brightest gold. Job prayed. I loved it when you mentioned that. That was something that struck me too, Nick. Job prayed the moment his life changed forever. It was immediate that after and it was one after the other i mean mm. while he they were yet speaking the next tragedy came and mm. then and it says three times mm. while they were yet speaking the next and one then came. then the next mm. one came and you'd think after all that devastation you know he would be so far down in the pit but mm. it says exactly what you read out nick that he he prayed the moment his life was changed 
the rhythms of life can become manageable when we've already adopted a rhythm of prayer with God. Just talking about Job, it was bang, 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 bang. Mm. All these things happened. And I wondered to myself, is it worse to suffer a tra- to suffer a series of tragedies together or is it worse to suffer one tragedy, a break, another tragedy, a break. another break? I'm not really sure, but um, I think in Job's case, these tragedies were increasing, increasing in importance. And I guess he just, well, I don't know this, if he did, but the Bible doesn't record. He threw up his hands and thought, yeah. well, what's next? What's yeah. next? Uh, <laughs> Can yeah. it get any worse? Yeah. Good news at the end of it is is this. In the very last chapter, Job 42, and what Nick quoted was Job 42, verse 5, I think. But a little bit later, God says um, to his so-called friends, I'm angry with you because you have not represented me as my servant Job has. And it says that when Job prayed for his friends... now. Through the devastation that uh, Len has been talking about, that he suffered both personally and uh, through his family, whatever, God brought him to a point where right at the end of the book, not only did he recognize God in a different way, he was also willing to pray for his friends who had misrepresented God to him. And it was at that point that God was able to restore his fortunes so that the book ends, as we say, uh, they all lived happily ever after. Well, certainly the book of Job ends on a very, very positive note. I believe had he not been able to pray for his friends, God would not have been able to restore him in the way that he did. That's an interesting point. You know, God calls us to commitment, not to comfort. He promises yes. to be with us through suffering and hardship, not to spare us from them. And we need to remember that. Okay, so we've looked at a theme of the unexpected, but now let's look at another theme of interactions. What interactions in Joseph's family create an environment in which the brother's behaviour is actually not that unexpected? Brenton, could you share with us Genesis 37.3, please? Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colours. Let me just make a comment sure. here. What we're seeing here is parental favouritism. And that has thing. devastating family consequences, doesn't it? I wish the brothers were also ignorant of their, their father's Jacob favouritism. But they weren't. Fortunately, God had a plan which unfolded as Joseph went from prisoner to prime minister of Egypt. But let's see what... You read that te- next text for me, please, Brenton, and let's just see what the brothers had to say. Genesis 37.4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This, this suggests that you've got a now thoroughly dysfunctional family. Absolutely. You've got a favourite. You've got 11 other brothers or 10 other brothers who are violently opposed to their brother. And the word could not speak favourably or peaceably to him would suggest that they never missed an opportunity to to needle him. It was kind of thrown in their face, though, wasn't it? I mean, there was was a coat of many colours as well, and every time he wore it, it would have rankled them more. It would have really been like a rag to a ball. Yes. Mm. Having a favourite presupposes rejection. 
Yeah. Like if a parent favours one child, the other children Seems feel that they are rejected. Lydia, I think you had something you wanted to share with us, did you? Yes, Thank all you. the pain, jealousy and guilt created by this family's dysfunctional dynamics stand as a continual rebuke of family favoritism. If Jacob would have identified and broken with the partiality displayed on in his own upbringing, he possibly could have spread his own family such tragedy. So God, in contrast, is the quintessential father who shows no partiality. Yes. Even though Jacob's family was a mess in many respects, this same father, God, was able to bring about one of the most miraculous and enduring stories of triumph. So there is hope for us yet and for our families also. That does give us hope. Yes, thank you. Yes, Nick. I mean, here I would, I would just like to emphasize again that um, we experience every day um, turmoil, difficulties, challenges. The solution is only with God. And that's the reason of even these Bible studies. You know, we need to come to God and to give our lives to Him. And He will teach us, help us to understand how to get out of some of the difficult situation or how to cope with them. Very important thing, because not always God will take us out from the difficult things, but he will really strengthen us. And I think that's very important to realize. And if there are some people listening to this and they going through this, please don't just close yourself in, you know, and uh, please just share that. Share with uh, whom you trust, and but most of all, share that with God. And right now I would like to encourage if you want to get in touch with us please don't hesitate because we are a family we want to uh, support each other to understand each other don't hesitate to contact us through the numbers which we provide thank you Nick for that yes we often take our families for granted I think uh, and uh, Brenton I think you've got something that you want to share with us as well says we often take the family baggage <laughs> We receive from our parents and unintentionally pass it right along to our own children. Instead, with God's wisdom and transforming power, we can be what family therapists call a transitional character, one who, in a single generation, changes the entire course of a lineage. The individuals who grow up in an abusive, emotionally destructive environment and who somehow find ways to metabolise the poison and not pass it on to their children, they break the mould. Mm. That's a particularly significant uh, comment, it, I think. It Helen. is, isn't it? Thinking back to my own childhood when I was growing up, um, I had an uncle, and Len knows him, he's now deceased. He had a very, very strong influence upon me. He was a man who I don't believe I ever heard say a bad word about anybody else. In fact, uh, my late grandmother used to say he would say a good word about the devil if he could find one. <laughs> and I aspire to be like him mm -hmm. because I realise that I'm not all that I could be. But what I've had passed on from my mother and father, some is, has been positive because I was brought up in a Christian environment but I feel for people mm. who have been brought up in this abusive relationship to come out of this 
to come out of a totally dysfunctional family and set a good example to future generations, it can only be done one way, through the grace of God. Mm -hmm. It can only be done through the softening influence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I just remembered what, Nick, you were mentioning about the pain and what different people go through. Sometimes God does not take it away. And I'm reminded of Paul in the Bible when he had a thorn in yes. in the th- well he had a thorn that he was dealing with a health problem and three times he came to god and asked him to take it away and god's answer was my grace is sufficient for thee another name for the word grace is referred to the holy spirit mm. of grace yes. and um i think that's a hope for all of us you know god is sufficient and his Holy Spirit is sufficient to take us through. We need to believe and we need to trust, and that gives us hope. And I came across uh, people, Helen, um, in my life when I thought, why are they thanking God for what they're going through? Because they was, you know, was so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember just one young family. They also had a handicap, a very severe handicap, uh, a child with a severe handicap, and they shared with me how a blessing that is for them. You know, I thought, what? Is that a blessing for you? You know, they were kind of, their life was like just shut down, you know, for many aspects. You know, they couldn't go even socializing, you know, as like other normal people. But they said, you know what? This child brought us together and closer to God. Wonderful. Mm. You know? And you never know. That's why I'm saying you never know. Uh, why, why things are coming in your life. The only thing what you know is that you have a God who takes care of all our needs. Yeah, thank you. I think we've got only just over 15 minutes, or no, just over 10. Mm-hmm. I really you. like to get something you said yes. last week, Helen. You were yes. talking about, is it Jody Erickson? Yes. Yes, Joni. Johnny. 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 That's right, Joni, who... Uh, became a quadriplegic after a diving accident and I think you said that she said I would rather be as I am in the wheelchair in a wheelchair with God can you remember the statement? Yeah, she said, um, "I'd rather spend a lifetime in the wheelchair with God than a minute out of the chair without Him." That's that's the one yes. I really like. That's, that's a very good very point. important. Mm. And she said mm. that she's mm. been a good witness all over the world. Yes, yes. Okay, let's move on. Thank you. God is in the business of changing us, and if not so much our personality, certainly our characters. One such Bible character that we we wanted quickly discuss. He had amazing change, and that was Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, the great apostle. Let's quickly look at his life. And, and Len, um, there are some Bible texts, but if you would just summarize them for us, that would be great. Acts 8, 1, 3, 1 to 22, Galatians 1, 15 to 17. Can you explain what his life was before a great change happened to him and then how he was after the change? Please. Well, I'm going to read a quote. As Saul yielded himself to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he saw the mistakes of his life and recognized the far-reaching claims of the law of God. He, who had been a proud Pharisee, confident that he was justified by his good works, now bowed before God with the humility and simplicity of a little child, confessing his own unworthiness and pleading the merits of a crucified and risen Saviour. 
soul longed to come into full harmony and communion with the Father and the Son. And in the intensity of his desire for pardon and acceptance, he offered up fervent supplications. Mm, So he actually went from a persecutor to a believer when he met the living Christ. I think that's just amazing. Even went went further than that. Mm -hmm. He went from a persecutor to a to persecuted. Yes. He was persecuted. It was almost like he was reaping his own being fed his own medicine. Yes. But um, he did it with joy. Yeah, praise God. The prayers of the penitent Pharisee were not in vain. The inmost thoughts and emotions of his heart were transformed by divine grace and his nobler faculties were brought into harmony with the eternal purposes of God. Christ and his righteousness became to Saul more than the whole world. Mm. Mm. We've got two, Powerful statement. Yeah, thank you. We've got two great promises that fit together in the experience of a Christian that we'd like to share with you today. Lydia, could you share these two promises with us, please? Yes, it says in uh, Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter uh, 8 verse 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death so it means we are set free from the consequences of sin thank you they're two great promises aren't they you know the bible is a book of relationships you've heard the phrase no man is an island Mm. well we must remember that our influence is going to be either for good or for evil even in subtle ways and nowhere is this influence subtle or not more pronounced than in our families tell me does the bible tell us what our interaction should be like with others. Brenton, Romans 15.7? I will summarise it for you due to the time factor. Basically, Romans 15.7 says this. It says we are to receive one another just as Christ received us to the glory of God. Thank you. And there's another one, Lydia, Ephesians 4, 2 and 32, please. Yes, it says be completely humble and gentle be patient, bearing with one another in love. And in verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. So it's repeating again, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It sounds very much to me like the fruit of the Spirit we're it talking does. about it here, does. doesn't it? it does. Okay, Lynn, 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Here the Apostle Paul is giving advice an instruction and he says may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else mm. okay and we've got one more James five sixteen. Mm. confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or avails much I think that's a great thing we're to pray for one another not only for our healing but we're to confess our faults 
without qualification to one another. And it says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man has a lot of sway in heaven. Yeah, I think if you if you've <coughs> ever heard the story of Roger Morneau, very Morneau, interesting book. Um, he's written books. several books, mm. and um, he was what they call an intercessory prayer. And it's just amazing the answers that happen to other people because of his prayers. Yes, Nick. I was just going to just very quickly say something because that text which um, uh, Brenton just read, it's a very uh, controversial one for many people. Say, how can I uh, confess, you know, my sins to another person? The only, you know, Jesus needs to know and God needs to know. It's interesting enough that I um, experienced myself a few times uh, the situation when with a group of people we came together because we were seeking God, you know, praying to God, have a relationship, knowing each other well, and we were so free to to talk to each other and, and ask people, you know, if I wrong you uh, in something, can you please forgive me mm-hmm. and do that things. Society today, we live in a very individualistic oriented society when we don't want to have that interaction, but actually that's very healing. To have yes. that interaction. It's very therapeutic. Yes. It's very therapeutic. Yeah. And it's important that you don't need to go and shout from the top of the roof about uh, everything what you are doing or you've yeah. done. But you need to sort out things. If you don't start, sort yeah. out things with your brother, with your neighbor, or whatever, it will catch up with you. Absolutely. Helen, just quickly, um, in the seeking forgiveness, it actually frees you and allows you to be able to move forward. It's so sad that so many people are unwilling to forgive people who have either done something against mm-hmm. them and that they are basically stuck in a time warp. Yes. They can't move on with their life. It is not an issue. The issue is not, is the other person willing to forgive you? The issue is, have you genuinely asked their forgiveness? If they choose not to forgive you, that is not your problem. Mm-hmm. But it does allow you to be able to move on with your life. It gives you a freedom to uh, be the kind of person God wants you to be. Mm, and it may you, be Helen. that at some future time they will be prepared yeah. to forgive I you. I agree with you there. <coughs> okay, just quickly because we need to finish up soon. Imagine the changes that occurred in the life of Christ's disciples as they spent time with him. They were mostly uneducated, simple people, accustomed to teaching and traditions of their Jewish faith, but now they were being challenged by a Galilean rabbi. So what do the following texts tell us about what they experienced? And they experienced similar to what we do, so we need to run through fairly quickly. Um, Lydia, Matthew 20, 20 to 24. Yes, in Matthew uh, chapter 20, uh, we have an aspect here, uh, between a request of a mother so the mother of Zebedee's son uh, came to Jesus with her sons two sons and asked a favor of him uh, so Jesus said what do you want what is it you want she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom and uh, Jesus replied you don't know what you are asking can you drink the cup uh, I am going to drink And they said, yeah, we can. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So when the ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, Lord, is over them and they, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here it means we don't have to exercise dominion. Yeah, they um, experience jealousy. Jealousy, that's jealousy. the word I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah jealousy, and yeah. how many of us do that as well? Yeah. Now, there was a conflict, I think, um, John 3.25. There's talking that? about the disciples of Jesus coming into conflict over a matter of ceremonial washing yes. with the Jews, and so they were having this ding-dong argument. So, I mean, they came into conflict. We have conflict. Absolutely, Nina. And we have to deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark nine twenty eight twenty nine. I think here it, it appears that they lacked faith. Yes, it's just summarising a situation where Christ was in the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James and John. His other disciples were down below. They were asked to cast the evil spirit out of this boy and they were unable to do it. And uh, when Christ did it, they asked him later on and said, Lord, why couldn't we do it? He said, basically, because this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Absolutely. And sometimes we also seem to <laughs> be affected by that. And if we were to go on, we've got a couple more, but I see our time is up. Matthew twenty six fifty six, um, they abandoned Jesus. Matthew twenty six sixty nine to seventy four, they betrayed Jesus, but at the same time they were growing spiritually. And people recognised they had been with Jesus. And I think we read that in Matthew 26, 73. So even as the Sanhedrin marvelled when they perceived that Peter and John were uneducated and trained men, wouldn't it be good if the world can see Jesus in you and in me? Think too about the incredibly positive impact we could have in our families if we lived in such a way that when other members of our family see us, they know that we have been with Jesus. No matter what direction we choose to go, the story of our lives will be read and will have an influence on others. So let's determine to, to live lives that can be counted blessed and retold with rejoicing. Let's just finish with prayer. Thank you, Len. Would you pray? Thank you. Father in heaven, we recognise from this study that people in past times have gone through all these different phases and uh, sequences and cycles in their lives. And we know people are doing that today. And we, too, as Christians, go through those cycles. Mm. However, Lord, it's different when you're a Christian. Yes. Because you're there to, to guide us, to help us, to comfort us. Yes. And we pray, too, that just as we've been helped by you, that as Christians we might help those around about us who don't know which way to turn. Mm. We pray that you'll bless our listening audience today and bless us as we endeavour to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, everyone, for your participation in this Bible study. I believe it's going to be very exciting to look more into family seasons. And uh, we are all part of a big family, the family of God. And we invite each one to consider that and be part of this study. You can always uh, contact us through the numbers which we provide. And may God bless you and be with you as you keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.